Hey everyone, welcome to the Data Disciples podcast, episode four. Today we have uh, James and David from QuiverQuant. Uh, they're one of the or the first alternative data uh, research platform for retail investors. They've gained quite a bit of traction over the last couple of years, like year and a half or so. Um, they have very new and exciting data offerings and um, um, yeah, we're glad to have them on our podcast. James, uh, take it away. Well, thanks for having us. Um, yeah, so I guess just for some quick background on Quiver, uh, we started the company about two years ago. Um, and initially the idea was, like you said, we wanted to be an alternative data platform for retail investors. Um, we saw, as I'm sure you've seen, that alternative data is something that's really taken off in the institutional community over the last decade or so. But there really hasn't been a lot of providers out there who make their data accessible to people who don't have tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year that they can throw around on acquiring different data sets. So what we started doing is we started scraping a lot of these data sets ourselves and putting them together on a platform where it's really easy for people to sign up. They can you know, create an account at quiverquant.com and you can just instantly see different dashboards and visualizations we built out for all these data sets and then also different tools that we've layered it on top to try to make it easier for people to get a lot of value out of the data. So just in terms of like the sort of data that we're looking at right now, we cover a pretty wide spectrum of data that can be scraped from around the web. So we're looking at everything from personal stock trading by US senators and representatives to things like data on Wall Street bets discussion and social media sentiment um, to things on government contracts, uh, government lobbying. Uh, you know, just in general, we kind of trying to find any data sets we can that we think retail investors are going to be really interested in. And that can also really be used as a source of alpha and a way for uh, retail investors to make more educated investment decisions. So, you know, in addition to the web platform, we also have an API that we launched at the end of last year. Uh, so this means that in addition to the retail crowd that we get on the website, we also are able to service a lot of institutional and enterprise clients who want to tap into the raw data feeds and either do deeper backtesting into them or even like build their own products and license and republish the data sets that we have available. So from a really high level, that's, you know, kind of what our business is uh, doing right now. But I think that in the future, we'd really like to expand and, you know, not just be an alternative data provider, but really be a one-stop destination that retail investors can go to whenever they want to do research and whenever they want to make an investment decision. So in the future, we'd like to layer in a lot more uh, tools aside from just alternative data. You know, we'd like to bring traditional data to our platform as well. We'd really like to bring in everything that retail investors need to look at before they make an educated investment decision. Right. And David, what do you really see behind the drive and, and the need for alternative data? What, what's so valuable about it to, to, to users? Yeah, I think to the users, it's definitely about making more educated investment decisions. Uh, up to this point, really just hedge funds or investment banks have had this kind of alternative data to implement to their investment strategies. And so we're aiming to not only give retail investors access to the alternative data, but also to other tools such as backtesting and portfolio statistics to actually be able to have an executable trade from different alternative data sources that we provide. Okay, and, and in terms of, um, of, uh, of like how you view what's been going on with the Reddit hype and like the Wall Street bets community, um, how do you view that 
that um, that rise and 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 how does that play into your your platform? Yeah, I'd say in general, like um, you know, for the last several years, it's been uh, you know growing and becoming just more and more popular. I mean, you'll see certain instances like obviously GameStop is the big one last February where there's just like you know a huge surge in traffic on those communities and it seems like everybody is talking about stocks, you know, even just like with my, with my social circles, just like I have friends who don't think about stocks most of the time who are talking about stocks a lot during the GameStop and AMC spikes. Um, and it's funny because like, you know, it seems like even prior to the GameStop thing, every few months you'd get this instance where there's some stock that gets, you know, rocketed up because of discussion on Wall Street bets on other forums and, you know, primarily driven off of retail interest. Um, and it's just the sort of thing that keeps coming back every once in a while well, where there'll be, you know, some big spike because of, you know, retail backed, I guess, trading for the most part. So, you know, we think that this is, I guess, like really interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, you know, the fact that there's so much public data out there just on what retail investors are talking about and what sort of discussions they're having. Uh, we think there's a lot of really interesting work that can go into interpreting that data and that it can be a really valuable source of alpha for someone who knows how to, uh, you know, get ahead of the trends, I guess, on where that retail interest is going. Um, you know, retail, I guess, trading has become a bigger and bigger part of the total market volume over the past few years. And I think that's especially helped by the pandemic and just how many people took to stock trading during their time in lockdown and just during their time, I guess, you know, away from normal, their normal day to day routine. Um, so yeah, on, on that angle, it's really fascinating because of the, the data that's collected, but on the other angle, obviously, um, you know, more retail traders means more people who are really looking to, uh, you know, perform as well as the market or even outperform the market. So, um, I think that as more people get involved with retail trading, it's only going to be, um, you know, beneficial in terms of how many people are interested in alternative data and really, uh, getting the best information to make their trading decisions. Right. And I think there's kind of two sides to it for uh, the people that outperform. You see that a lot on, on, on the Reddit boards and people posting on Twitter about it. But there's also a side of people heavily underperforming. And you see like the screenshot of their Robinhood account and it's like minus 99.99% uh, because they put it all into like uh, GameStop options or something. So I think having a platform like GoQuant or QuiverQuant um, to, to really get real information and not just hype around the Wall Street bets community and saying like, okay, we're gonna rally on silver today. Um, mm. Then I think that's, that's where you, that's where that information and, and decision-making really empowers the retail trading community because they're able to make informed decisions and not just informed decisions from a, a Reddit board. Um, mm. So what's the difference? Um, so, so there's obviously a stark difference between the institutional and retail side and the way that they process information, but what's it like? Um, and and what, are the, what are the trends that you've seen in, in, in selling to or, or just the way that institutions and retail investors operate? What, what's the difference there? Yeah, um, yeah, so I'd say like in general, What's interesting is that a lot of our institutional clients have actually come through the same channels that we've been getting retail investors from, or at least they originate from the same channels. Um, like a lot of the people who are currently using our API were people who were initially just users of our web platform. And then 
they reached out to us, sent us a cold email, said like, hey, we've been using your platform. We see you have this data feed. Is there any way that we can tie into your API so that we can, you know, do X with it, whether it's like do a deeper back test and then start doing algo trading with it, or whether it's, uh, you know, build their own product on top of it. So, you know, one of the things I guess like about the retail investing community in general is that it really isn't just retail investors. Like on Wall Street bets, you have people who are, you know, trading on a Robinhood account with a few hundred dollars, but there are also a lot of people in that community who do trade professionally and who do have, uh, you know, jobs at hedge funds or jobs at, uh, you know, other investment research platforms. So a lot of our marketing does stem towards, you know, just getting our platform in front of retail investors. Uh, for the most part, it's through, our different social media accounts where we do content marketing to just get our data out there and get people aware of what's going on within the data sets that we collect. Um, but what we found is that, yeah, if we market towards these retail audiences, uh, it also ends up generating, I think a lot of, um, you know, or it ends up leading to institutional and enterprise interest down the road if we're able to get more people just through the front door, basically. Right. Um, now, in terms of like, very innovative data sets that you've seen. So for example, I was at this conference once and, and the, they were presenting data sets on like solar, solar flares and how that correlated to stock market returns. So those are very out of the ordinary data sets to, to use in terms of investments uh, because technically it's alternative data, but it, it, it could mean that it doesn't make sense, but, but it could be perfectly correlated to the markets and you could use that as, as your trading tool and, and for information. But mm -hmm. in terms of like data sets that actually are, are like make sense, meaning they're not like Spotify song hits or like uh, astrological data. Um, uh, what, what's your favorite data set that, that you've seen out there that, that seems to be actionable, but, but very innovative? Yeah, yeah, it's just recently some of the stuff that we've been looking into more is um, some data on natural disasters. Like the solar flares, I'm not really sure, I guess, what companies that would impact, but I mean, I would imagine probably like electrical companies and things like that. But um, yeah, lately we've been looking at natural disaster data for kind of the same reason where, you know, obviously a few years ago, there were, there were wildfires that really, you know, were, I'd say, the catalyst for leading PG&E into bankruptcy. And I imagine that, you know, in the future, that's only going to become a bigger thing that natural disasters is going to be something that companies really have to keep their eye on in a lot of sectors. And that could really have a big impact on some businesses. So lately, we've been taking a deep dive into that area, starting to uh, gather more data on like things like wildfires, and then also thinking about how to present that in a way where it's really easy to see what publicly traded companies might be impacted by those disasters. So um, yeah, that's just one example. I mean, one of the things I think that's, I guess, coolest and like most fun about working in alternative data is there's just such a wide variety of different uh, topics that are out there that you could theoretically grab data on and that, that could theoretically, you know, make a difference for companies on a regular basis. So um, yeah, that, that's probably one of the most fun parts about doing this is just there's like such a wide variety of different topics that um, you know, I guess, past their doors that we consider and that in many cases we end up scraping and bringing to our website. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the data sets that, that we've started working on, and it takes a lot of like machine learning effort is, um, facial recognition data, like sentiment data on CEOs. So you have companies like, uh, Alexandria technology who are 
um, big in NLP and, and news and social media sentiment or like SMA, for example. Um, but, and then you have other companies who are very innovative and, and I love what they do, like Helios, who has, um, and we, we want them on our podcast as well. They have, um, they have uh, voice analytics data for, mm-hmm. for voice sentiment of, of CEOs. Um, now, there are different segments which um, for, for, for sentiment, which can be explored. So one is like facial recognition, which we're trying to do. We thought of like body, body language detection, but that's a lot harder because on CNBC, you don't really, the whole body isn't, isn't shown really. It's really from like here and above. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so facial recognition, it's something that, that can be explored and it's something that we're, that we're trying to work on now. Something that, that has been very prominent um, in, within the data space, specifically in ESG, is the non-standardization. Standardization. So you have different sentiment scores or different ESG scores for different data providers. So there could be five different data providers with totally different scores, and you don't have a standardized metric to track everything. Now, there are different areas which you could explore this, and the two that I could think of is ESG and, and sentiment data. But I think sentiment data is definitely one to, one to explore. Um, so that's something that, that we're trying to work on that, that I think is pretty, is pretty, um, is pretty fascinating and, uh, and I think could be useful to, to, the, to retail and institutional investors. Now, in terms of crypto, what have you seen happen in, in the market yeah so for us right now the only crypto like we do very limited work with crypto alternative data we do have one data set that tracks the discussion on some different crypto forums just to see what coins are being talked about the most and kind of where discussion trends are heading within those communities but uh for the most part it's an area that we haven't done a lot of work with but i think that there really is a lot of opportunities to do more work with in the future um you know, I think in general, there's a pretty big overlap between our audience and people who might be interested in crypto. Like, I think that just in general, it's something that's very popular among the retail community. And a lot of people are going to be investing in it regardless of whether or not we put data out there on it. So I think that really, you know, and, and one of the other cool things about crypto is like, so much of the data is just like completely publicly available where everything's happening on a chain. Like there's obviously a public uh, ledger that shows everything that's going on. So there really is a lot of opportunities for uh, getting really good, high quality data directly from the source, um, and then being able to do interesting work on top of it. So yeah, so far our focus has definitely been just on U.S. equities, but I think in the future we're definitely going to be looking more into other asset classes and other markets as well. Yeah. And I think Dennis, I didn't, I didn't hear a point about the need for normalization of, of different data sets across the board. In my experience in speaking with with clients and uh, potential customers, cryptocurrency data is one of the biggest needs that, that people are asking for right now. You know, we have all these different prices on different exchanges for each of the coins, and there's really no no way to get a, a normalized price across the exchanges. Uh, being able to achieve that would provide a, an immense amount of value for, for the different types of institutional clients and retail investors that we speak to. Right. If anyone needs crypto data, then refer them to us. <laughs> Got a pretty expansive, uh, expansive crypto data set. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, in terms of like personally, how did you guys get started 
in the alt data space and with QuiverCoin. Yeah. Yeah. So initially the company was inspired, I guess, by an internship that I had at a hedge fund out in Boston. Um, so I was working at that hedge fund, working closely with alternative data there. Um, and that was where I first really became aware, I guess, of, uh, you know, what sort of alternative data sets are being used in the hedge fund setting. And then also got some experience with going out there and scraping and collecting the data myself. Um, so immediately after that internship, I started Quiver alongside my twin brother. Um, both of us were students at UW-Madison at the time in our final year there. Um, and initially, we were just scraping a few different data sets from around the web and publishing them in dashboards. Uh, it was like more a hobby than anything else at the time, but we were sharing some of that work with uh, the Wall Street Bets community, making posts on there, and you know, started to see some pretty, uh, I guess, good traction just from people's reception to that work that we were sharing. Um, and you know, also the number of people who are visiting those pages. So after we started seeing some traction, we decided it'd be, be worth pursuing it as like a full-time project and really going all in on trying to bring as much alternative data as we could to the retail communities. So um, shortly after that, we uh, you know, started dedicating full-time work to this. And uh, you know, since then we've been building it to where it is today. Right. Yeah, so, so I guess you started more, well, you started from the institutional side, having experience at a fund, but um, during your internship, but also like more of an integration with the retail community with through the Reddit and Wall Street Bets posts. So I guess I come from more of like a institutional background, you could say. So I founded this other like financial consulting firm that specializes in quant trading strategies. Um, and the issue there was I needed a lot of data, like institutional level data for to create the, these algorithms and these strategies. And companies were quoting me, especially the large data providers were quoting me $10,000 a month minimum for this data. And that was just for like basic pricing and fundamentals. Now, if I tried to go to smaller providers, then comp quality would be compromised. Now mm. that... So that balance and, and that price was so frustrating to me. So I thought that there had to be a better and more efficient data source. So from around the time of like the GameStop uh, phase that happened to like October, so quite a few months, um, uh, we've been developing many different data sets to, well, one, power those, those strategies that I initially sought out for then I realized that there's a whole open market available to the retail and institutional mar uh, market, specifically in alternative data. So that's that's where I got my inspiration from for GoQuan. Well, I think we share like a similar drive and motivation to um, to, to to get started um, at, or how we started both of our companies. Yeah, absolutely. Then, is that if, if my, I may add, I think I had uh, a little bit of the opposite experience. Um, I did have obviously institutional background in college, uh, worked at JP Morgan for the summer. But what really got me into not only you know investment strategies and alternative data, but also just trading was I started an investment fund my senior year of college at the University of Texas. I fundraised $150,000, and very much so, I ran into these problems that we're speaking of and that we we're trying to solve here at Quiver Quant. I very much was you know, our, our target end user. I was trying to run different trading strategies, had, you know, some coding abilities, but really didn't have the budget to be purchasing these alternative data sources. 
But I knew how, you know, things like social sentiment data, they can help a lot with things like volatility forecasting. It was just being aware of ways that I could improve my trading, but feeling like I couldn't actually move forward without having that budget uh, was one of the biggest areas of frustration for me. And so that's uh, when I joined Quiver Quant, it kind of made, you know, it was a no brainer for me to understand what we were doing and who we we're going to be able to sell to. Right. That's great. It's, it's really, um, it's really interesting to see how similar and different backgrounds and to the, the, the starting alternative data companies for retail investors. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, it was great to have you guys on our podcast. Um, yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, Thank for you. sure. Yeah. It was great. It was great to learn more about Quiver Quant and, and speak about the similarities and uh, between, between both of our firms. And um, yeah, in the end, we're trying to provide value to retail and institutional investors with um, alternative data products. So yeah, it was great. Again, it was great having you. And um, and yeah, that's it to uh, summarize episode four of the Data Disciples podcast.